Welcome to the Sobriety Diaries, friends. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic and sober coach. My addiction has shaped the person I am today and given me the ability and voice to help others, and I simply wouldn't be here without it. Recovery is possible. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we share powerful stories of recovery told by those who live them. Head on over to thesobrietydiaries.com where you can apply to be a guest on the show and join our insiders list for exclusive content, early release episodes, and much more. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Also, before we jump into things today, I wanted to take a minute to thank Exact Nature for sponsoring today's show. Founded by a father and son in addiction recovery, Exact Nature's all-natural CBD products are specifically formulated to help you face the challenges of recovery, be it anxiety, cravings, or even improving sleep. I absolutely love the Serenity Oil, and Exact Nature has even helped me kick the nicotine habit, which I am happy to say, now I am over two months nicotine-free. As a listener of the Sobriety Diaries, use the code TSD20 at exactnature.com for 20% off of your order. Again, use the code TSD20 at checkout. Happy Sober Day, friends. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode and spending part of your day with me here on the Sobriety Diaries. I am so grateful that you are here with me today and have been here with me through 43 episodes and the entirety of season one of the Sobriety Diaries. Yes, this is the season finale of season one of the podcast. I am truly humbled and forever grateful for the support of you as we help one another navigate our recovery and simply life in general. I can assure you that the podcast will be back for additional seasons, and I only plan on taking a break during the holidays and to prepare for season two and to be able to film a few episodes so I'm a few weeks ahead. So during that time, I will also be launching another podcast with my beautiful friend, Abby Jean, and it's called The Influence, a social media podcast where we interview popular social media personalities and influencers and folks that have gone viral on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, whatever platform that they have dominated or gone viral. But we reach out to them and sit down and chat about going viral and how they are capitalizing on the fact that they now have this notoriety and if if and how life has changed. So Abby Jean and I will be getting that off the ground during my break as well. We actually launch with four episodes on December 6th. So make sure you check that out. Also, wherever you get your podcasts, again, it's called The Influence, a social media podcast. And you can check that out at theinfluencepodcast.net. But the reason we are all here today, let's jump into our story for episode 43, 
and the season finale of season one of the Sobriety Diaries. Let's open the diary on David. David Clement, thanks so much for making time for the Sobriety Diaries this early Sunday morning. How are you, my friend? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate the time, and uh, it's good to see you. Yeah, I'm coffeeed up and uh, ready to share. We're both showered and and up early and ready to go, right? That's right. That's right. (laughs) Hey, you know what? Um, That's part of my story is that, you know, I used to try to go to sleep around seven, and now I get up at five. Right. It's a shift, right? And I always tried to be asleep before that sun started peeking out because that's just a different level, right? So about, yeah, six, six thirty, I would usually try to hit the, hit the sack. A hundred percent. (laughs) And, and, you know, that's a part of like things we learn in recovery is that like, I no longer curse the birds because I can't get to sleep. You know, I'm like, I'm appreciative of my sleep. It's really not negotiable anymore. And, uh, you know, it's part of a healthy life that I've learned in recovery. Well, you and I have connected originally through Instagram, but have sort of developed a relationship on a few levels. So I'm excited to to hear your story today. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Yep. One thing I like to ask at the at the beginning is uh, to sort of get your perspective on, um, I guess, how you are perceived. But how would you introduce yourself at a dinner party tonight? Well, I'm a human being first, and then I always go into my artwork. And, um, you know, I'm a person that has been through a lot. And um, I'm very, um, I'm open minded to your story. And I I really try to understand people today versus, you know, when I was using and things like that, I always wanted, no one understood me. Mm. But what I've found is that the the more I stay clean and the longer I'm in recovery, I want to understand. I want to ask questions and be curious. I love that. Um, sometimes all people need is is an ear or someone to listen to what they have to say. And that can and really change someone's day or life. I think especially, you know, I, I like to touch people who are still struggling with this podcast. And sometimes all they need is an ear. So uh, I, I like to uh, provide that. So we're on the same page there, my friend. Yes. And I'll just add that um, that's a huge thing is that a lot of us grow up where people try to fix us. And when we when we actually are willing to get vulnerable, but the more that I've gone to meetings and listened to other people in recovery and had people just listen to me and not try to fix, manage or control it, just listen is one of the most healing things that we can have happen and and in turn share with others. Why don't we jump into things and uh, walk through your your path to recovery together? Okay, great. Thanks, Nate. Um, yeah, my this time, um, I celebrated 15 years clean this summer. My um, clean date July. Yeah, uh, July 8, 2006. And uh, since that date, I haven't found it necessary to use or uh, destroy myself anymore. And, um, <clears throat> but if it, if I go back to when I was a kid, um, I grew up in a small town in Virginia and uh, I'm an only child. So, you know, most of us in recovery know how to isolate, but being an only child, I was kind of wired to be alone. And, um, my parents are hardworking people and things like that. And I had a good childhood. Um, you know, I definitely had my, uh, rebelliousness with my father and things like that. And, um, but he was, he's a great provider. He's still, he's living in Florida and, um, 
we have a much better relationship today because I got better. And um, that's one of the things in recovery that I've learned is that the, the more I stay clean and work on myself, the better other people get. Because I'm, uh, as I ask for forgiveness in my story, um, I'm more willing to forgive. And uh, that takes time. You know, that doesn't, that's not kind of where we start. But um, as I was growing up, um, my escape, and that's really what we're talking about for me, was escape. Fantasy was art. You know, I spent a lot of time in my room drawing and um, painting and just kind of being in my head and things like that. And so as life went on, you know, that was my solace, you know, that's, that was my place where I could really just be free. Um, when I was five, I was molested by a babysitter. Uh, it happened a few times and, you know, at the time I didn't really understand what happened, but as I have stayed clean and gone to therapy and done other things and, and, you know, I, I am in 12 step recovery. So I work steps. Um, you know, in looking back, I see how it shaped my actions even before the drugs. Mm. And, um, I realized that, you know, a lot of times, even before we, for me, even before I picked up drugs or alcohol, uh, one was never enough. You know, if I liked a shirt, I would get like a blue shirt. I read all of the same. I would, I wanted all of them, you know? And so, uh, you know, I remember I used to work in parks and recs and I was in charge of handing out the green shirts for all the lifeguards and pool kids and everything like that and day camp counselors and we were supposed to get two for the summer by the end of one of the summers i opened the drawer and i had like 35 of these shirts because <laughs> i would just take and take you know what i mean and yes. uh, and now that's not really about the drugs but it is about that need for more and um i was always grasping you know i didn't want to live where i lived i didn't want the things that i had i just I wasn't appreciative and it was hard for me to stay in the moment. You know what I mean? And um, so as I went on, you know, I had a pretty good childhood and, and uh, went into high school. I was, in fact, I was class president. I played basketball, I was captain of the basketball team, that kind of stuff. So, but I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. Mm. You know, um, I just didn't feel that I fit in, even with all that stuff on the outside that looked good. I just felt, like something was missing. There was a void. And, um, I wasn't sure what it was, but in, in, in hindsight, you know, maybe what happened when I was a kid affected me deeper than I thought, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And then, um, you know, I've got, had that been revealed to anyone at that point? No, I hadn't really talked to anyone. Okay. You know, that didn't come till later as I was clean and in recovery and things like that. Okay. You know, now, Um, I will say it wasn't a, it didn't go on for long, but it did affect my viewpoint of the sexual energy that, you know, um, is innate in all of us. And it kind of opened up that, that Pandora's box very early. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, now that I've done a lot of of work on trauma and and done some EDMR, um, those kind of things, I've, I've really been able to kind of look at it for what it is and how it affected my choices. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when I left school, um, I always wanted to 
live in New York and be a famous artist or designer or something like that. So after college and um, I ended up going to New York. Um, college is kind of where I partied alcohol and, you know, the, the, the softer drugs and that kind of, not soft, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but once I went to New York, I got into fashion and, and worked for some designers. And then I really got kind of intoxicated with the city and being around celebrities and chasing yeah. that, what I thought was going to be, what was going to fix me. You know, I thought if I had a, if I made it or if I got a lot of money or if I got some notoriety for my artwork, I would be validated. Mm. But what happened was I got more into getting good at partying and doing drugs and being around those things. But I was just the guy that was at the thing doing drugs. I wasn't there for my work. Mm. And so that's like a big difference. You know, when people are doing fashion shows and things like that, um, they're being celebrated for their work. Whereas I was just at the party for the work. You know what I mean? It just, yeah. And so at the same time, my ego is like getting bigger and bigger, yet my addiction's getting out of control, you know, and I'm going home to my apartment alone and, and making those foxhole prayers of like, oh, I wish I won't do this again. I won't do this again, but I would just do it the next day. You know? So the, yeah. the sort of recognition that this may be a problem had started already at this point. Yeah, I started to, uh, I was using against my will, you know, like I would say, mm-hmm. I don't want to do this anymore, but it just kept going. And then eventually I was running up credit cards and it just got so bad that, um, I had to go home, you know, and that was very humbling, but at the same time it was embarrassing and, and all this stuff, like I felt like a failure and I had to go back and live with my parents. Fortunately, right. they, they had me, but you know, I felt like a failure, you know, I was the first person in my family to go to college. And, you know, I had a lot of support growing up, but I felt like I had let a lot of people down, including myself. And so at that time, when I was back in Virginia, um, my parents got divorced. Um, my addiction was just out of control, you know, uh, it was probably the roughest part of my addiction before I got clean, even though um, you know, there was just a lot going on and, uh, it was kind of like the world crumbled around me, uh, as far as like, you know, just feeling so hopeless that there was no prospects. And I knew that I had done it to myself, you know, and that I also didn't have the tools to fix it. Yeah. And so I had stolen I started stealing money from my father and uh, finally I got caught. And that is what brought me to recovery the first time. That's where I was introduced to it because he was like, you can either get help or we're done. Yeah. And so I went to an outpatient rehab. Um, Well, I went to detox for three days. And I remember driving, it was in this place in Arlington, Virginia. And I remember just the sun was kind of right in front of us. So I was staring into the sun and I was looking at my dad and I could feel his sadness. And I just couldn't believe that all the hopes and dreams were gone. And I was driving to a detox, you know, I just couldn't, it didn't make sense. This wasn't how it was. My life was supposed to turn out. And uh, I was there for a few days, but if you're not, um, 
detoxing from alcohol, a lot of times they won't keep you very long. You know, if mm. it's certain drugs, they just, they said, yeah. well, you, you're not going to have physical issues. So anyway, um, I left, but the reality is, is I wasn't ready. I was, I was doing that for everyone else. I was doing it for my, my family my friends, but I wasn't ready to give it up. I was still trying to do that substitution. Well, maybe if I do it this way, I can still use successfully. And I just couldn't. And so I stayed clean for about 10 months. And then, um, I relapsed, uh, some friends came into town and we were partying. And then, uh, eventually I moved back to New York because it was going to be different this time, but it wasn't, I fell back into the same old patterns and I only lived there for about two years this time, but the jobs that I was taking were not as good because I didn't have any skills at that time. And then I could see that it was going back to a dark path. It, it was, you know, it was time for me to get out. Yeah. And so. Do you feel like y you were almost planning your relapse or like anticipating that you would relapse at this point? There probably was some of that just because I wasn't ready. You yeah. know, I thought I was you know, but part of it was to get people off my back and things like that. I just couldn't, you know, part of the thing that got me into it was I was addicted to the fun. Yeah. I got addicted to the lifestyle of parties and music and activities. New York City, other, I mean, yeah, on. New York City wide open. And, um, you know, being around creatives and seeing all this stuff that I grew up kind of admiring, you know, and here I am, you know, in fact, here's one of the sad part, the heartbreaking parts of my story is that I had a solo show at a studio in Soho and the night of my opening, I didn't show up because I went and was using with a friend. No shit. Yep. Wow. Went to a different bar because, you know, he was like, no, nah, let's just go and have some drinks. And, da, da, da. and there were people there wanting to see me and my artwork. Hmm. And that was the dream was to have a show in New York city. And, right. and I didn't show up. And so I've had to make, amends to myself for that yeah but i uh, you know that's one of those things that it's just amazing how when we're in the grips um our definition of normal changes and the things that we do they just don't make sense you know they just don't make sense There's really nothing more powerful than that pull uh or that uh you know it it's beyond the alcohol or the substance it is the addiction to in your case the fun it, it's mm -hmm. the addiction to like the routine to some people mm -hmm. in, in their situation um sure. so i totally I, I i understand that to to my core you know i had some medical issues and laid in the hospital for over a month thinking about what my first drink would be. I mean, it, it mm -hmm. to, to people who don't understand the pull of addiction probably sounds ridiculous, but I probably wouldn't have shown up to the show either. I, I completely yeah. get where you're coming from. Yeah. Well, I'll just touch on that and then I'll, I'll kind of move it along to how I got into recovery. But, um, there was a time that I had, I was using so much and I went to the hospital cause I thought I was having a heart attack. And they asked me, oh, well, on the way to the hospital, I threw the drugs out the window on the way back from work. Went to the hospital that night and 
they asked me what was going on. And I said, I had been smoking too many cigarettes because I couldn't admit yeah. that I was on drugs. And then they wanted to check me into rehab that night. I said, no, 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 I'll be fine. I went home, snuck into the house where my parents lived. Next day, didn't say anything. On the way back to work, I went and looked for those drugs that I threw out the window. Yes. Did you find them? I did, but it rained and they were all washed out. Damn. But I'm glad. But but anyway, that's the power of what I was going through. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> when I left New York the second time, you know, in my mind, there weren't drugs there. It was just going to be alcohol. You know, that's like the how we rationalize and justify. Sure. Um, our decisions or geographical changes. And um, I was seeing a woman I had, I'd been here about a year and a half and I was seeing a woman, she was living with me and it had started to get bad again. My, my addiction was, it was pretty much out of control. I didn't have a job. And I remember one of the last things that really got me close to getting clean was I remember going to a pawn shop to sell like microwaves watches that my parents had given me and stuff like that. And the amount of money they were going to give me for all this stuff that was important to me and whatever, not microwaves, but yeah. gifts that they were going to give me like five or $10. Wow. And I was like, wow, this is where my life has gone. Right. So then there was a July 4th week where I was out of money and I had scrounged up enough money to get a, pint of uh, vodka and I was just done. I couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore, but I kind of wanted to die. I, but I was too much of a coward to kill myself. So yeah. I just drank it all and passed out. And on July 7th, um, my girlfriend at the time, she thought I'd OD'd. And I just remember waking up and she was screaming, I can't live like this. I can't live like this anymore. I can't live like this anymore. And that was the thing that woke me up because what she said was what I had been feeling for years. I can't live like this anymore. And so fortunately I had been introduced to 12 step meetings before, but this time I was ready to do it for myself. And so the next day I went to a meeting and right before the meeting ended, I just started crying and sharing and, and babbling that I can't live like this anymore. I can't lie, but you know, I got a white key tag and that kind of thing. And um, there was a guy there, he was huge, but he gave me a hug. And in that moment, that's what I needed. I needed a hug and I needed to be welcomed and I needed to be around people that understood what I, the the pain that I was going through. And then that's what started my journey in recovery. It's funny how I hear men say a lot that, um, you know, they never hugged another man before. And mm -hmm. when it comes to this vulnerability and this willingness where it's just like our hands are up in the air and it is like, I will do anything at this point. And, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I think that just speaks to the level of just hurt and brokenness that a lot mm -hmm. of us feel um, when when we may find ourselves in those, you know, church basements or those rooms where people like us gather from time to time. But yeah, I, 
can feel that day. And I know well how it feels to be at that first meeting. And uh, so I wonder, is this um, your own uh, willingness took you there this time? Um, is yeah. this the time that it stuck? And now are we talking about your path to recovery? We are. And, um, it's been quite the journey and, um, it started, you know, I didn't just start going to a ton of meetings in the beginning. Like I didn't realize there were meetings every day. Yeah. Um, I just, I was kind of white knuckling it for every Saturday until someone said, Hey, you know, you can go to more meetings a week. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. What a great idea. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, one of the things that I, I want to share with people is that if you're thinking about going to a meeting and you're nervous and things like that, and you go, one of the things that's really helpful is to look for the similarities versus the differences. When we look for the differences, we're trying to discount ourselves. Mm. Oh, this won't work for me, or I'm not like them and this, that, and the other, but there's so much shared experience in the brokenheartedness of our addiction that we really when we look for the similarities, we can start to relate to others and understand. And that, and that's, what's, that's really started to help me, um, you know, because we all judge and things like that. But if we, if we look for the similarities, um, there's a feeling of I'm not alone, you know? And so, you know, I, I did that first couple of years, I really went to a lot of meetings and I did get a sponsor and, and, and um, we're still friends today. And um, I still go to meetings and, you know, as the pandemic started, um, I started uh, my home group meets on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And, uh, you know, we have meet members all up and down the East Coast. I mean, it's just been amazing to have this connection, even being kind of separated from people, you know, and, you know, recovery is about connection yeah, and communication and sharing. And, and the, that last that last day of my using was me in a room by myself, afraid of the world. And recovery has shown me that the polar opposite of that is, you know, sharing, communication, and be around people, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, recovery, I've been to meetings all over the country and, um, you know, it's introduced me to yoga and meditation and asking for help outside of 12 step meetings. You know, um, I've done talk therapy. My, my experience with talk therapy wasn't as good as when I did EMDR mm. um, to deal with trauma, but that's, that's okay. Like the beauty of recovery is a, a curiosity of what will help me and how do other people deal with the things that I'm dealing with. And, you know, recovery is like this big community of, of ideas and, and experience it's, and the beauty is we share our experience. We don't say this is how you have to do it. Right. We say this has worked for me. It may not work for you, but I know this person has gone through that. See what they say. Yes. You know, and that's a big difference because I never wanted to ask for help when I was um, younger or I just felt like I just had to know it all. Right. And guess what? I, the older I get, the less I know. Like I, I'm okay. I, and I, there's, there's something now that is, uh, powerful about like not having to know everything and asking for help. And there's a, a, a subject matter expert at something. Let me sure. ask them and, and how to do it and what their thought is. And, you know, it's going to make it much easier on me. And they'll probably, 
enjoy helping you or giving their opinion about something. So yeah, yeah. there's this something about free. It's very freeing to not oh. have to feel that way. Yeah. And it takes the pressure off in a way. Yeah. <laughs> but then sure. also you get to, you know, you get to go together when you meet someone. Yeah. You know? And that's one thing that people um, I've noticed is when we're, when we're new, we think, Oh, I, I don't want to bother someone and call them because I'm having a problem. But what I found is when I call someone and ask for help, they say, man, I'm glad you call. I'm kind of struggling with this thing right now too. Absolutely. And that's that shared experience, you know, yeah. and that's how we, if it, if it helps for another day to not use whatever the thing is, that's where it's at. And it gets easier every time you ask someone for help. And I've never been in a situation where, you know, someone else has said, no, I'm, I'm good. I don't feel like helping today like that right. just doesn't happen in this community of people who are committed to helping one another and evolving and growing and learning new things continually. So the first time or two may be a little awkward or difficult to do. Um, but as with most things, it gets easier each time. For sure. And, you know, these, the relationships that I have today, most of my network and my recovery community, I've known for 15 years now, but I remember some of the first phone calls, it, it literally would be like, Hey, how are you doing today? Yeah, and they yeah. go, Hey, I'm doing pretty good. What are you, are you going to a meeting tonight? I'm like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll see you there. And then that was it. Yeah. But, and that's fine. Yeah. And then you come to find out, it's like, uh, I have a, you know, my sponsor's a musician and we have, you know, all of a sudden you have these things that you're interested in and you go, oh, wow, man. And then we go for coffee or dinners and, you know, plan things that are fun and, you know, outside of recovery, you know, just. Yeah. Activity. Yeah. It's, yeah. that's something else I, I didn't realize about, um, sobriety in the beginning mm -hmm. was I thought that I was just going to learn how to not drink or to drink less. And that's right. really minimally what we are <laughs> yeah. doing when we decide to, to get sober and step into this world of recovery, like not drinking yeah. or using drugs is really just the first step. And then it is, how do I get better as a person? How do I continue, continue to evolve and, help other people and learn new things and, um, live a better life, uh, which is uh, a never ending process. So that's, that's the beauty of it too, is, um, we continue on this journey and you said something that I just love and it's, you know, we may answer the phone to, to someone who has less time than we do, or who may still be struggling and we're helping them, but it's part of our recovery too. Like we still have to work on ourselves on a daily basis. Um, it's still one day at a time for us as well. Uh, yep. So uh, the more people that call me, the better. Listen, I I need um, to strengthen my recovery as well. So keep that 100%. in mind as well. They want that phone call from you. A hundred percent. And I'll just touch on this, that like in the age of technology, uh, people will text that kind of stuff. But I find that it's easy to hide, hide out behind a text. Oh, yes. Um, when I hear, can hear your voice, we have that connection, you know. And uh, I grew up, I'm a little bit, I'm almost 50. And uh, we grew up in the area where we, we called our friends and talked on the phone. Yeah. 
And there's something special about being able to talk to your friends, even if you can't see them, you know? And so I would just say, if you can call someone over texting, do that because yeah. you can hear someone's voice, you know, and, and there's something in that that is soothing. So. Yeah. And I will say if you're dealing with someone who is traditionally more of a texter, I will usually send a text that says, Hey, I need to chat. Do you have five minutes or like, Hey, can I call you in 20 minutes to give them that buffer? Or, you know, maybe they're out somewhere and, and can go find a quiet spot. But if there's someone who, who traditionally is like text only, mm -hmm. I, I will sort of introduce the idea of a phone call just with a quick text and yeah. see where we can go from there. Yeah. It's great. So as addicts, you know, we use drugs and alcohol pretty much as the only coping mechanism that, that we use, right? And when we're happy, when we're sad, when we're stressed, when it's a vacation, mm -hmm. really in any situation, um, what are some new coping mechanisms or coping skills that, that you now use in recovery? Okay. That's a great question because, uh, we, we need tools to, we need tools to do things differently. Yeah. And for me, it started out with, um, when I first got clean, I put a daily meditation on my, uh, nightstand. And the reason I did that was because I felt like when I woke up, if I reached for that, then I was reaching for my recovery. First thing, because I may not be able to go to a meeting or talk to my sponsor or go to therapy when I get up, but at least I'm reaching for something to start my day off positively. And there's a lot of things that um, you can get emailed to your phone, a gratitude um, message or things yeah. like that. Um, the latest thing that I signed up for are um, journal prompts. So mm -hmm. it will send you a prompt every day because I'm not the greatest at journaling and, and right. can't really come up with ideas. So uh, it's part of my um, 11th step app that I have. It'll send yeah. a journal prompt every day and it's super helpful, but oh, I love that. Yeah. So and that leads me into the next thing is that I, I do meditate every morning and I use the insight timer and they actually have a journal that you can, when the meditation session is done, you can do guided or silent meditation. Hmm. Um, they have a journal app um, kind of prompt after that, but you know, over the past, two years, I started doing this thing called the artist's way. And part of the assignment is to write three pages every morning. And I started that in January of 2020. And so I, feel, I was telling my sponsor yesterday, I filled up almost 15 journals. I was going to say that's a lot of pages. It is, but I'll, I'll share with you what I shared with him. And that is that by journaling every morning, first thing, a lot of my life, I felt like I wasn't being heard and I didn't have an outlet to share what I felt mm -hmm. and without judgment, you know, but if I start the day writing three pages, I get to, I get to put whatever's on my mind out of my head on paper and then start my day. And so then the next day when I come back, I'm able to either process it, share what happened, what didn't happen. Cause a lot of my, a lot of our fears don't come true. They're just irrational fears. You know what I mean? Like I can obsess on something, but I go, oh, well, that didn't work out at all how I was anticipating. And um, so the journaling has helped tremendously. And, um, you know, doing the little things, you know, daily routines, daily routines, because uh, when I was using, it was a routine. Mm -hmm. And um, I can use that as an asset and uh, have different routines with the the journaling, the meditation, going to meetings and um, 
you know, practicing these, these things at work, you know, if someone says yeah. something that may hurt my feelings, um, how do I respond? Can I give it pause before I fly off at the mouth? You know, <laughs> right. Um, you know, at the grocery store, do I just leave the buggy by my car? Or do I go put it back? Um, there's a lot of little things that, um, make up a full day. And, you know, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is go to bed. If you're having a bad day, um, and there's been times where I said, I've had enough of today. I just go to bed. I'm like, that's the most spiritual thing I can do is go to Amen. bed. Right. You know, and, um, you know, I plan trips. I like to travel. I, um, I'm curious about life again, <clears throat> you know, so the curiosity is where I try to stay and try to remain teachable. And, um, that's what recovery's given me, you know, and if someone calls, I'll help. Um, you know, there's just so many things that learning to sit with yourself is a huge gift because when I was using, I, I just couldn't stand myself. Mm. You know, that self-loathing is what kept me using and the guilt and shame and all that stuff. But what I come to find is that most people wanted us to be happy all along. We just didn't know how to do it. Yes. You know what I mean? And, um, recovery's given me that to where I can be okay with me and um, I can be okay with you too, you know, and, uh, and just, you were, you know, the path is the goal. That's what we talk about a lot. Like, we, you know, we think when we get in recovery, now we've got to be successful in this, that, and the other, but the goal is that we got into recovery and the path is the goal. The goal is the path. Like we're, if you're here, it's a miracle. I think that is the perfect sign off for that. Couldn't end on a, a better note. David Clemen, thank you so much for your time today. I look forward to um, continuing on this path together. So I'm, I'm grateful that we connected. Uh, and thanks again for your time today. Oh, thank you, Nate. Pleasure to be here. Grateful. So David, we've had the uh, pleasure of working with one another on your upcoming podcast. So I want to touch on that and uh, let the listeners know where they can find it and what it's called and a little uh, info on the podcast. Oh, great. Thanks. Um, yeah. After seeing your see, learning about your podcast and seeing a lot of these sub sober, sober curious recovery based podcasts, um, I realized that I have a voice in recovery as well. And I have a lot of experience and I would love to share with others. And uh, I had done a podcast a few years ago and learned a lot, but this feels like I'm being pulled to do it and share my experiences with others. And um, we, the name of the podcast is recovery nuggets podcast. And each episode it. will have a nugget of something that hopefully people can chew on and use for their recovery. And the idea is that um, there's no one specific way to recover, but there are lots of things that can help. And um, those are the recovery nuggets. So Perfect. it's I love it. And so it's going to be a, a sort of mix of um, some tips and tricks and, and some ideas from from you and then a mix of some interviews as well. Correct. That is correct. Um, I will have interviews and I will also um, pick a topic, maybe a spiritual principle or a Zen passage or a meditation um, nugget that has helped me. And um, I'll just kind of expand on that and share my experiences with that. And then we'll go from there. And hopefully we'll have a lot of fun and, and you know, just keep the recovery 
uh, conversations and narratives going. Thanks so much for listening today, friends. Make sure you check the show notes for all the information that we discussed in today's episode. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you. And if we help just one person, our job is done. You can find all things podcast related and subscribe to our show at the sobrietydiaries.com, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, where we upload today's video podcast and on Instagram at the Sobriety Diaries pod. Check back soon for new episodes with new stories to tell. But until then, try your best not to drink and be good to yourself. Bye, friends.